Welcome to Coffee and Conservation, hosted by Dr. Beth Baker, Assistant Extension Professor in the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Aquaculture at Mississippi State University. From water and soil to habitat and food production, Dr. Baker and her guests discuss the necessity and complexity of conservation in the U.S. All right, folks, welcome back to the third and final episode here with Mr. Johnny Ray, owner of High Hopes, High Hopes Farm here in Mississippi. Um, just to give you a quick recap, so this being the third episode on the first one, we did a bit, bit of an introduction to his farming operation, how he got started farming, uh, since he hasn't always been a farmer, although he grew up in a farm family. Um, and then we moved into talking about his current farming system, how he, how he got into some of the practices he's utilizing, some of them around um, regenerative agriculture practices and where he finds his information. And we really wanted to get into a little bit more here in this last episode about his vision for the future and even for some other family farms in the United States. So Given your current farming operation and this, you know, in a bit of your journey into regenerative agriculture, what is your vision for your farm in the future? I think we, there are several components to it. One is we, we want to see a farm uh, here in Mississippi that is, we use words like vibrant and uh, fecund, so that when somebody comes to our farm, and by the way, we love to have visitors. We really encourage our customers to come and spend time at the farm or just people in general just come visit with us when they see the farm they see something that maybe is different from the other farms that they see around you know they just see uh, a well-kept farm they see you know lush pastures healthy animals uh, that just a really good safe healthy uh, fecund farm. Mm -hmm. That's that's a, a vision that we have, and we feel like we're really certainly moving in that direction. Uh, but we have other other parts of our vision. Uh, one is we we want to have a place that we would like to see our farm in some ways, and this kind of builds on what I just said. But a sort of a model farm. Uh, you know, we're not spring chickens. We're not going to be around forever. But we have a real interest in passing this knowledge on, and we would like to see the farm population in our county, in our state, in our country, be increasing rather than decreasing. Uh, really turn that around where there are more and more farmers, more and more small farmers, more and more young farmers. So we would like to have a place that shows, uh, especially a young person, a young couple, a, a kind of farm, a model farm, where they can take 30, 40, 50, 60 acres, a small amount of land, and not only have a great life, uh, farming but also make a good living mm -hmm. and uh so that's what we're trying to do with 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 our farm and I, I think we've seen you know just the economic financial growth in the farm we still got a ways to go but we're certainly moving in that direction and we th and we think we're, we're we're getting there and so we'd like for you know young farmers or young wannabe farmers to see that that so they wouldn't feel hopeless because it's expensive to buy land it's expensive to buy equipment you know, you read so many stories about farms closing, farmer suicides, farmers in debt, and we would like to help, you know, begin to reverse that, that trend. Yeah, and it's expensive to make mistakes as you as you move yeah. through the trial and error yeah. process. Um, yeah. But, you know, as we talked about in the last episode where you find your information and, and how you can find great information out there, this idea of your farm being a model farm for people to visit and learn on um, – 
and, and you and I talked about this outside of the recording, it's it's so important because we as humans learn better by doing than we do just by reading and hearing about something, especially when it comes to um, practically doing something like managing land. If you do it, you're substantially going to have a better handle on on retaining that learning uh, you know, in your brain and how you might do it on your farm than if you just read about it. Right. Um, simultaneously, there's plenty of institutions around the country that have learning farms similar to this. Uh, and so certainly, yes, here in Mississippi and in this region, we could benefit from having a place that people could go to. Yeah. Um, and we've begun to think about that, you know, as we look down the road, what happens to our farm 10, 15, 20 years from now, uh, I, I, my, my son, Matt, is somewhat interested in the farming, but he's just now beginning his career, and uh, it's in law enforcement, and, you know, I don't know if, I don't, I don't know if he's going to want to come and farm down the road or not, but we would hate to see our farm either be sold off and become a subdivision or taken over by a larger firm and farm and just become part of some, you know, big farm operation. We would like to see it maintained and mm-hmm. and actually grow as to the kind of vision we have for it uh and so you know maybe a possibility down the road if if we don't find that right person to come in and farm maybe our farm can be utilized uh in some way to be a place of learning for others mm-hmm. so it's, it's you know we're thinking about different you know possibilities for it down the road i would add another vision that we really enjoy doing we also want the farm to be a place of hospitality that's a very important word for us you know we want to be it be a hospitable place for our animals uh, our little motto is naturally raised gently tended and you know of course the bulk of our animals are destined you know to be meat on somebody's table but we do try to provide a very hospitable place for them as as stress-free as possible i would say in addition to providing you know good grass good water ample shade those kind of things to be as stress-free as possible is very very important for us and you know i don't want to say that our animals are like pets but uh, you know, I think they're certainly very well well cared for. And when we have visitors who come, they're always amazed at how they can just walk out among our cows and take pictures of their kids and our cows or, you know, rubbing their heads, you know, that kind of thing. But so, but this hospitality, we, we want to extend to others. And a few years ago, we actually built a, uh, a guest house on the farm. We call it the Grateful House. And we love it when people come and spend the night, spend three or four days, spend a week, whatever. We've we've had a regular flow of guests here recently coming out. And especially uh, hopeful that they might engage a little bit in the farm if it's just, you know, walking around, taking a hike in the woods or visiting the animals or whatever, or if they want to spend, you know, some time, you know, working. We always love to have things for them to do on the farm. And that's really a vision of the, you know, kind of farm we want to be. We haven't gotten into agritourism yet, mm-hmm. which is a popular thing and there are a number of farms that are finding that a good insor- a good uh, uh, financial stream income stream we haven't done that but uh, but we like this idea of being a, a place for strangers friends customers whatever to come and spend some time I've been on um, a number of different farms and all of them very very different but not all of them with vi- visions and missions around hospitality and and I can say that when I was on your farm, um, it was an experience, and it was so fun, and it was nice to feel like 
like y'all wanted me to be there and hang out and to see everything. Like I wasn't in the way. Um, and especially for folks, well, I, I would say definitely for any citizens that's never been on a farm, you may have this total vision of farming that just comes from what you hear in the media of what a farm is like and, and what land management is like. And in that sense, being on a farm like yours is a totally different experience. Mm. And and for us living in Mississippi, you know, folks that live in major metropolitan areas like New York may think that, well, anywhere in Mississippi is going to be rural. But even going from Starkville, which is a small town, to your farm, I was way more immersed in nature there, just being on the farm in so many parts of Mississippi are rural, that it is, it's a great place to visit and experience for anyone. Um, I loved it. The Grateful House is fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I can't wait to come back out. So well, I think that's an important part of your your vision too and we we really do like to have guests and visitors and uh we've made a lot of inroads with the islamic community in startful especially around the sale of lambs and we've had people from just you know so many different parts of the world to come to the farm and uh you know we learn from them hopefully Mm -hmm. you know they learn some stuff from us and and also being in a university community you do have customers who are not native mississippians who are from other parts and they bring something special when they come (laughs) And, you know, the fact of the matter is, it's easy for us to kind of drop whatever we're doing and welcome people. I mean, our days are busy, but they're not so busy that we can't do that. And quite honestly, we see having visitors as a form of marketing. Right. Because if they come out and enjoy the farm, they see how our farm is is tending its animals, and they make a purchase, they're happy with it, they're going to become a spokesperson for us. Mm-hmm. And so much of the marketing that we do has to be by word of mouth, so... Uh, that's it's it's helpful when people come visit with us right and that was one thing i wanted to get your perspective on too when you're raising and selling a local product to a local market seemingly you're not just a farmer you're a marketer and entrepreneur at the same time and so how how has that been challenging for you and deb as you've been growing the business in some ways marketing has probably been one of our biggest challenges uh we were very fortunate when we came here, ten year, moved back here 10 years ago, to get connected with an organization called Gaining Ground, which is now sort of morphed, I guess you could say, into the Homestead Education Center here in Startful. Phenomenal. And uh, Allison and Mike Bueller have kind of directed that. Mm-hmm. And uh, through that, they introduced us to a good number of people in the greater Golden Triangle area, especially Startful, who were interested in uh, – not only local food, but issues around nutrition, health, energy, various things, uh, a, a greener, more wholesome kind of lifestyle, a regenerative kind of lifestyle. And so a, a good number of our initial customers came from that network. And then those customers being happy were able to share that with other people. And But that, that's that been probably certainly what it has what's gotten us started. Mm-hmm. But it is still a, a little bit of a challenge to do marketing. We we have a website. We have a Facebook page that we, we utilize. And uh, there are some other good Facebook pages that we can connect to to, to market when we've got animals that are getting ready to uh, – that are ready. But, you know, one of the issues is, is I we had in our – other conversation but during the break is uh you've got to have a a citizenry that is uh educated and deeply committed to purchasing locally Mm -hmm. and so i think that's something we're trying to build is is be a part of that education process and that process of 
developing people who want locally grown uh, food, be it meat, be it vegetables, or whatever. Right, and and knowing so much about different agricultural practices as well as different policies around the world in terms of, uh, as we talked about earlier, how food is marketed to consumers. It's so much easier as a consumer of a product to distinguish how something was grown and how that may have benefited the environment or that particular farm family and keeping them going if you just know your farmer. Right, absolutely. (laughs) Then you can just ask them rather than trying to discern on a very complex labeling system uh, that doesn't always give consumers the information they need to make a decision about a product at the grocery store. And as we were talking earlier, even if a family, say, uh, for whether it's health reasons or whatever reasons, decide we're going to eat grass-fed lamb and beef. And there's a lot of not just anecdotal evidence, but there is now scientific medical evidence that shows that eating grass-fed beef, lamb, pork, whatever, is a much healthier diet. Uh, but then, as we were talking earlier, uh, I was re- referring to a, a podcast uh, that a, a, a large uh, regenerative farmer does, that when you go to the grocery store and it says uh, grass-fed beef and it says a product of the USA, that that's very misleading that about 80% of that uh, grass-fed beef that you purchase in the store is really not a product of the USA. But the the way the rules are written allows those companies to make that claim. So even if you're going to the grocery store and you're buying grass-fed beef, the chances are it's not, you know, locally grown. Mm-hmm. It's not even from the U.S. Uh, so that's why I think getting to know your farmer is just so so critical a part of this right and i i think as a consumer i mean one of the reasons we're doing what we're doing before we move back to the farm we were more and more concerned about what we were eating where it came from and so by purchasing local food it's not only good for you it's not only good for uh that it, it's, it's good for that farm you're helping out a, a, a local farmer economically by making that purchase from that farmer yeah, and in the majority of the sentiments at a global scale, like with the United Nations, when when um, those entities are discussing sustainable development of of societies in the world, it is built around not just the environment, not just the economy, but also that linkage to human health right. and how those need to evolve together. Yes. So human health and support, the environment and our economies together, which is really quite symbolized in your business, in your farm, when it's economically viable, aimed at protecting the environment and regenerating the environment, and also sustaining the health of your local communities, which is really, really quite, um, I mean, if you think about (laughs) when people have life goals of what they they might want to do with their careers and their lives, and and I always aim for meaningful work. Right. That's about as meaningful as it it can get. (laughs) And, you know, this is a very Jeffersonian idea because Jefferson felt that, I guess, a strong country was really built around having a lot of small yeoman farmers. And we've – that's how – this country got started but you know in recent years we've seen i guess what since world war ii the farming population has drastically declined in this country the number of small number of family farms has declined 
And at the same time, we've seen that it's devastated so many local economies, you know, across the South, across the Midwest, you know, towns drying up, uh, you know, it's just story after story of that, that, that has happened. Mm -hmm. So I think if we can, in this country, if we can reverse this trend and, and have a citizenry, a large, a large percentage of our citizenry committed to purchasing locally, it's going to improve personal health. Mm -hmm. It's going to improve, uh, the whole farming, uh, network situation but it's also going to improve local economies it's going to improve the environment the the benefits uh health-wise of so many different segments of our society from individuals to the environment to communities i think will be improved and i'm gonna i'm gonna digress just a minute because we brought it up earlier and i think it's really important to talk about um you had mentioned where you get your steers and particular you know there, there's plenty of innovations and, and great efficiencies that have come with different agriculture production systems. But I always find uh, the production of cattle also to be a little bit different than I might have imagined as a consumer where perhaps a calf is is born and then raised and then slaughtered all in the same piece of property where in fact the cattle industry is far different than that, yeah. where many of the operations are just cow-calf operations. Others raise the cattle in the, the middle part of their life, others are finishing, and then the processing is separate and distinct from that, mm -hmm. and then you have the transport and the packaging. So it's very, uh, not only commoditized, but separated. Right. It's not one single process. So tell us a little bit about where you get your steers and, and then the process they go through on your yeah, farm. That's a great question, and, and thank you for asking that. We do want to cover it. Initially, when we started doing this and we were trying to decide what direction we were, we're going to do go, uh, we could have probably, uh, we did actually have four mama cows. Uh, we could have probably increased that a little bit. But one is just looking at the size of our property and then having the investment of buying the cows and having a bull and all of that. We decided that for us the best way was to and especially recognizing that we only had 30 acres at the time, the best way for us to do was to buy steers that were weaned and ready to put on grass. And so uh, what has – I actually had a couple of sources at the beginning, but now and for the last number of years I, I buy from one farmer. We want to have a closed herd. He's actually my cousin, and uh, he we're kind of his main customer. And so he raises uh, his steers and heifers – sort of I guess you could say to our standards and so I don't have to worry about breeding I don't have to worry about cow-calf nutrition I certainly don't have to worry at three o'clock in the winter being out pulling a calf you know mm -hmm. uh, but but for us at our age this is what has worked for us so anyway my cousin we buy our steers and heifers from him and he weans it at least they're at least seven months old which is a good age I mean a lot of people wean much earlier and mm -hmm. there's all that added stress uh, while he's weaning them, we do have a, a, a feed that doesn't have grain in it that he feeds. He gives them all their shots, and then uh, he weans them over a two-week period. That helps take a lot of the stress off. And they come to the farm, and they're ready to fit right into our system. They usually have really good – they do always have really good weights. So that's been a good uh, system for us. Now, you know, if we had another 50 acres – we were 10 or 15 years younger it might make sense to raise our own mm -hmm. uh steers and heifers have our own mama cows but that's that's kind of what 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 has worked for us 
the same also applies to our lambs. You know, here again, if we were 10, 15, 20 years younger, I'd love to have, you know, 30, 40, 50 ewes and some rams and do our own breeding. But we found a great farm uh, about an hour from us. Uh, guys got about 400 ewes, excellent rams. And so we buy weaned lambs from him. Uh, we, we couldn't be happier with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we, we, we take them when they're weaned. They're ready to put into our system, and, and we go from there. Now, you know, not necessarily the downsides, but you have to recognize at the very outset you've, you've made a pretty significant investment in, right. your, in your cows and in your lambs. So that gives you more incentive to raise them properly, uh, make sure they're healthy, and, you know, they reach uh, the proper weight uh, to be slaughtered. And uh, so that, 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 that has worked for us. But like I say, you know, if you had more land, if you were younger, you know, you may look at some of the other alternatives. Right. But this system has worked well for us. Yeah, but thank you for going through that because it's just as important for folks to understand that, you know, whoever's buying your product at, at the end is looking for quality. But you're already doing that within your process when you're, when you're sourcing those yeah. animals. Uh, so very important. And with so many different aspects of your farm system between the way you manage the land, the way you manage the animals, the way you're practicing all these preventative health measures with the animals, um, all the way through. Certainly you could use, you could benefit from a, a number of different resources, especially when it comes to marketing or just uh, access to, as we talked about earlier, access to um close certified processing plants, things like that, the way you can sell the products. What resources do you think would help you continue along this this vision for your farm, like the most resource, whether those are practical, whether they're policy-based, whether it's just informational resources? Um, uh, several things come to mind. One is I probably need to be a lot more ma- uh, knowledgeable about what is out there and what is not uh i i was at my uh sheep farmer's farm uh, a couple of months ago and he wanted some of my business cards because he was telling me that the extension office in his county was looking for somebody who uh, raised grass-fed beef they would periodically have somebody call looking for grass-fed beef and they didn't know anybody mm-hmm. so he took some of my cards and gave them to his extension office well since then i thought you know, I ought to be talking maybe to the extension offices in our county and the surrounding counties. They may be getting the same kind of questions from time to time. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But to try to find out what is available from some resources or institutions that are already here. Uh, right. Uh, and then I know, like from state, they will periodically have workshops that may be devoted to uh, grazing or pastures mm-hmm. or, or whatever. Some of that is applicable to us. Some of it's more oriented toward more large-scale sort of conventional farming. But, you know, if, if you can find some that are applicable, uh, apply. Uh, you know, personally, I would love to see Mississippi State in their agriculture school is have a, uh, a component. I don't know if it has to be a whole department that was devoted to regenerative agriculture, even if it was just one professor and, you know, a, a small budget to be right. identifying needs and resources and offering resources to to farmers locally, I think would be a huge yeah. uh, asset. I I agree is uh, phenomenal, and I'm sure there's folks. Uh, I know there's folks across the university that work 
within those arenas in small capacities. Yeah. But yes, I think having like a devoted yeah. resource for uh, small beginning farmers and, and those family farmers. One of the things that we're, we're trying on. to do too is, you know, the longer you do this, you run into other farmers that are doing similar kind of farming, maybe variations or whatever, but I'm always trying to identify other farmers that are in beef or lamb, pork, chicken, uh, other meat products, or also vegetable and fruit farmers who are committed to regenerative agriculture, and at least knowing who they are, but also trying to begin building some kind of network that at least we know who we are and, and maybe can do some things together. There is an organization called Mississippi Sustainable Agricultural Network yep. that it provides some resources and also some of the people who are interested in are doing this and that's been a good uh, place to connect with from time to time mm -hmm. okay one of my last questions how and I love this term farm philosophy because I uh, and I've only been introduced to it recently but it really does capture uh the essence of, of what farming is because it's so much more than just producing a product right. uh, you're, you're managing the land which many people in the United States will never do because they live in a large city and they have no impact on the land other than their consumer behaviors um, how has your farm philosophy changed over time do you think uh, and what you envisioned question. it to be and what it is now yeah well, I've just been uh, heavily influenced by Wendell Berry. Mm -hmm. I just think he is a phenomenal human being, uh, very prophetic in, in so many ways. And I, I think what he has helped me understand is farming is more than just having a piece of land and growing something on it. But one of his favorite words is affection. Mm -hmm. you got to have affection. For, for your land, for your animals, for what you do. And just, you know, it's kind of like a love affair. Mm -hmm. uh, and I do meet a lot of farmers who, you know, they don't seem to enjoy what they're doing. Uh, and that, that's to me, is very sad. Uh, I don't know. Every day is pretty much, you know, getting up, looking forward to, I like cleaning my horse stalls every morning. That's kind of my meditation period. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it, I think that word affection, I mean, I didn't have that as a concept when I first started doing this, but increasingly, I think that's a part of what we do is it, it is, you, you got to have affection for it. You got to love doing it. Uh, I, I would say that's probably the biggest mm -hmm. thing that has changed or evolved over time. Yeah, that's very interesting. We appreciate you so much coming oh, well. on the show. I can't tell you enough. And as we're as you're talking about the the hospitality component, I'm re I'm thinking back to earlier in our conversation, probably not recorded, when we were talking about the unique workshops that people go to. You could probably host farm experience retreats on your property, and people would come from all over the country to help you clean out the horse stalls yeah. and do those things <laughs> and just disconnect and recharge from their busy day to day yeah. office lives. Yeah, <laughs> and that, that could be your start in the agritourism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So funny. Yeah. Well, thank you so much again and we appreciate you, it it's been and a pleasure i know i'll be out to the farm again sometime soon good as always you can find more information on our website or in the show notes after the show and we always want to acknowledge and thank our primary sponsor the mississippi natural resources conservation service for their support of this podcast thanks for joining us for coffee and conservation to find out more about the topics discussed visit the reach website at reach 
mississippi.edu or the Mississippi State University Extension Service website at extension.msstate.edu.